The Guardian. Hey, it's Lee Alexander, and before you get started with this edition of Chips with Everything, we want to point you in the direction of our sponsor, Squarespace. For everything that you need to set your website apart, head to squarespace.com/guardian to get 10% off your first purchase. And now, on with the show. Hey, producer Matt here. Just a quick heads up before we dig into this week's episode. Uh, This one gets a little bit provocative and sexual. It is a great episode, but probably not the best one to listen to out loud uh, when you're at work with your colleagues, unless you're into that kind of thing. Um, Maybe save it for later. Otherwise, when you're at home with headphones on. Also, I'm very sorry to say that your usual host, Lee Alexander, is off sick this week. Lee, what's going on? Yeah, hi Matt. Um, I'm afraid that my uh, usual uh, vocal tenor is, uh, is is not up to snuff this week. I'm afraid. Oh, no, <laughs> I know you were really looking forward to hosting this episode as well. Oh, I was so excited about it. This is one of my favorite topics, and for me, I think just the uh, juxtaposition of discussing uh, this exciting topic in this ridiculous voice was a bit too much to take. Oh no! But you'll be back next week, right? Absolutely. I'll I'll look forward to coming back next week and hopefully not sound like this. Oh, I don't know, you might get the videotape fetishists who keep the old videos and have the actual videotape itself and clunking it into the machine. You'll probably see all this other kind of... Well, it's like looking at flipping um, vinyl that's come back now. So you probably get, you know, oh, I've got this, I've got this wonderful old video of Linda Lovelace. Let's put this on. Hey, again, it's Matt Shore. Let's get right into it. Let's talk about porn. (laughs) More specifically, the history of porn. So going back in time through the folds of history, the first depictions of eroticism can be found dating back almost 30,000 years back to the Stone Age. Those depictions uh, often took shape in the form of etchings and, and paintings inside of caves and were typically quite crude. Um, there were symbolic images that resembled male and female genitalia. Moving through time and venturing into different parts of the world, uh, in Peru, for example, sexually explicit scenes were carved into pottery and ceramics. Pornographic scenes were painted onto scrolls in Japan and China, and medieval Europe was famous for producing manuscripts containing erotic pictures and text. Over time, the nature of pornography has changed, shifting from primitive hand etchings to today, where porn has become an industry of its own, and anything and everything you've ever been so inclined to see can be found at the click of a mouse. Today's show, though, isn't about the history of porn, it's about the next step for porn, and sex for that matter, in our highly digital age. Teledildonics is a device that you either insert into your body, or it, if you're if you're a man, you want um, you want something to um, go over your member, and it enables you to experience some kind of sexual pleasure. Um, it's basically a masturbation device, but it's something that you don't necessarily have to use your own hands. Teledildonics and virtual reality porn. That's all coming up. It's Chips with Everything from The Guardian. I'm Dr. Trudy Barber. I'm a senior lecturer in media studies and course leader in media studies and entertainment technology at the University of Portsmouth. I visited Trudy down in the south of England at the University of Portsmouth, where she teaches, 
And Trudy is an absolute expert in everything that lies in the crossover between sex and technology. Better yet, taken right from her bio on the university's website, Trudy specializes in emergent media, cyber and digital culture, cybersexualities, deviant leisure, media networks, visual culture, art practice, and the digital future. Um, I run things like uh, media networks exploring digital culture, where we look at some of the elements of like cyber sex and things as well, which is um, always quite um, quite an eye opener for some students. Now, Trudy's fascination with technology kicked off at a young age. From when she was a kid, she used and loved all things tape recorders and, and microphones, and loved watching television shows that involved jets and and airplanes and rockets. I was always um, mad on different types of broadcasting equipment. Even when I was a little girl, I had my own reel-to-reel tape recorder. And uh, I was mad on um, a 3D um, uh, viewfinder, a 3D viewfinder that I would put slides in and look at it and it would be all 3D. All that kind of stuff I was mad on. And I was mad on um, early uh, British um, TV shows that were like Thunderbirds, Fireball XL5, all those kind of things. So it was it was a cultural thing for me, the kind of youth culture, childhood culture. And while she was out being a kid and enjoying the technology around her, she also happened to be severely asthmatic. This was before the point where inhalers were readily available, so she spent quite a bit of time in the hospital. To help with her breathing, she'd be hooked up to tons of equipment and put inside one of those plastic oxygen tents. And everything seemed the other side of this plastic place. So the nurses and my parents and everything else, they were the other side of this plastic thing that encompassed me. And I knew that I would be getting my oxygen, but I, I was in this virtual bubble away from everybody else. And um, I started doing, when I got older, I started doing artwork about this, about the body and about being um, part of the technology that was keeping me alive, but also realising that my body technologically wasn't working properly. So I started to, to see, to understand myself, I started to see my body as a machine and the sense of self as being in a, a virtual space in a sense. Trudy became really interested in the inner workings and and the machine element of the body. And she actually ended up doing an artist residency with National Power, uh, which used to be an energy company here in the UK. And she decided that she wanted to try to humanize their power station through her art. Uh, And I thought, how the hell am I going to do all this? It's great. They've asked me to do it. And I thought, I know. I know how to do life drawing. I know how to draw the body. In my head, I'm going to turn the power station into my understanding of the body. So I saw all the big um, uh, gas chambers as the lungs. I saw all the wiring as the veins. And I managed to, to understand what I was drawing in a slightly different context. And likewise, while I was doing that, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to actually really see the body and draw it as machine? So I spent three months um, drawing cadavers at Southampton University Morphology Laboratories, drawing the body. And in order to not go, oh, this is a dead person who's probably never had their portrait drawn even when they were alive, it was like, actually, this is a machine. And when I saw images of these these things on the head and all the tubes, I thought, that's me. That's me in the in the um, oxygen tent, in this separate place, separate body, separate head. And I thought, oh, 
How fantastic is that? Now, wouldn't it be fantastic to look at ideas of the body with virtual reality, virtual space? And that's what made me start the journey that I'm still on, basically. So a bad case of asthma and a few years down the line, Trudy's interest in the body and sex and technology was piqued. And that's when she began brainstorming her very own virtual reality experience. So she showed up at a VR studio in South London. And I said, you know, this might not be your cup of tea, but this is what, this is what, you know, really exciting stuff. That I think we could explore lots of things with virtual space with, um, with these ideas. And they said, yeah, okay, cool, come in and do it. So it was like, oh, woohoo, this is fantastic. And they sat me down in a room with a computer and a big fat book that said Autodesk 3D Studio, the sort of first version, and it was about the size of a large cathedral. And I thought, mm, um, yeah, I'll give it a go. From the, the um, initial virtual worlds and virtual reality and that idea of, of making that space, um, a lot of people who experienced um, like my virtual world thought, oh, this is like, because I, I gamified it, I turned it into a game, and they thought, well, you know, how can we get the physical sensation? I didn't, I didn't get a hard-on when I was in the, in the virtual world and all the rest of it, and I was thinking, well, you know, we need to look at how we can connect the body to the, te- to the, the, the technology and that, and that experience and make that kind of link. Now, back in the early 90s, this technology was not what it is today. Uh, in 2016, an entire VR system can be stuck into a small headset like Samsung Gear, Whereas back in the early 90s, the goggles themselves were massive and they were hooked up to a big computer. Well, you had to be prepared to look really daft. That's one of the things that put people off. It was they didn't want to look silly in it because most people looked like a bit of a Dalek or something out of the day the earth stood still or something from the 1950s and 60s. So um, that was one of the things I th- that I think really put people off, actually. If you wore this great big brick on your head, you got neck ache and and the, um, the sense of uh, vertigo could be quite interesting as well on something so big. Now, Trudy says that because her technology skills were limited in practice, the virtual reality experience that she set out to create didn't really end up turning out all that impressive. Uh, it was clunky, and the graphics were pretty terrible. But in her view, the foundations of what VR could one day be were definitely there. And she knew that one day, given the right technological advancements, VR could become a great platform for experiencing the body. Trudy describes one of the first truly engaging VR sex experiences that was created in France a few years later. Uh, It involves two people wearing VR headsets on opposite sides of the country, one in Paris and one in Cologne. And both people were also wearing these teledildonic devices, uh, which Trudy described off the top of the episode. Essentially, they're body attachments that are controlled remotely over the internet by someone else in a completely separate location. And it involved a whole load of body um, body attachments, and it was connected to the internet. It wasn't connected to a virtual world. And so um, you would get images. You could choose different body parts uh, from a set of body parts, and you could send that image via the internet to somebody else. And it was done from Cologne to Paris. And then you would have your cursor, and you would pass your cursor, say, over somebody's boobs, the image of their boobs, and they would be wearing attachments to their boobs that would be vibrated. And um, 
it was really interesting because uh, it worked a treat. But the only thing was, is not very many women were doing it uh, when they were experimenting with it. And you had men thinking they were talking to other, to engaging with another woman because they, everybody would play with the different images, the body parts, and then found out they were stimulating a, a man. If they weren't gay, they found that a little bit surprising. So this was where we had some really interesting elements of, aha, you can be whatever you want to be. You can be, you can sensate anything, really. If, you, if we can get the connections working that well that they were getting, you don't have to be a person. I always used to say you could be a purple lobster. I always go for the surrealist uh, vision. You could be whatever you wanted for that kind of moment. So um, it, it became really, really interesting. And that's where, the, where tel- teledildonics happened. While the ability to blend teledildonics and VR has been around for a while now, Trudy says that they've really only caught on recently because of our ability to produce really high quality video. The quality of what you're seeing has now caught up with, you know, your 33 frames a second filming and stuff and with the 3D filming that you can get you know, the cameras and stuff. The the shame thing is is that you're getting tacky porn stuff in it which um, I I suppose it's maybe it it's it's a way of opening doors to seeing if something works or not. But I just think that's same old, same old. We need to be able to do something different and more exciting with it. And I think, you know, because we don't have to have um, sex to have babies anymore, the whole element of sex being for enjoyment, pleasure and entertainment, um, things are t- taking a whole different element with virtual reality now. Now, how does virtual reality porn actually work? When we come back, we'll speak to an adult film star who left the traditional porn industry to start a VR porn company. My name is Ella Darling. I am the queen of virtual reality porn. Um, I'm the VR content manager of Cam4VR. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Jason Phipps here, head of audio here at The Guardian. This episode of Chips With Everything That You Are Enjoying, No Doubt, is sponsored by Squarespace. To find out more about how to set your website apart, head to squarespace.com guardian. Hey, it's Carrie Stewart. I'm an audio producer for The Guardian. And if you're enjoying this episode, you should check out another one of The Guardian's great shows, the Global Development Podcast. Released every month, we discuss the key issues affecting billions of people across the developing world and tackle the big questions facing the international community. Here's a taste of this month's episode. Sri Lanka is a country endemic to malaria. But at the end of the war in 2009, the uh, malaria campaign initiated programs to eliminate the local transmission of malaria by 2014. But by 2012, uh, we were able to achieve that. That's The Guardian's Global Development Podcast. Find it on iTunes or any of your favourite podcasting apps. Hey, welcome back. Matt Shore here. And before the break, we talked to cybersexuality expert Dr. Trudy Barber. Now, though, to dig a bit deeper into what the VR porn industry actually looks like in practice, I got on Skype with Ella Darling, who is an adult film star. Uh, She also co-founded a VR porn company, and we talked about how technology is revolutionizing an industry 
that hasn't really changed much over the past few decades. So let's start off with what the main selling point of VR was for you. What actually made it so attractive for you and how you might be able to incorporate it into your profession? Yeah, so I tried virtual reality for the first time at E3 a couple of years ago. And I immediately knew it was going to be amazing for the porn industry. As soon as we could get porn onto it, it was going to be an incredible experience. The fact that it was frame-breaking was was really interesting to me because people want to be as close to their favorite porn stars as possible, uh, sometimes to a frightening degree. And, um, and the ability to bring fans into the room with you and allow them that level of closeness seemed uh, just very compelling and like it could be a very good thing for the industry. But um, but then I saw a list, or I saw uh, someone on Reddit talk about how they want to make VR porn. They're just not sure how to find a performer, and I was like, I got you covered. Okay, so walk me through how this actually all started. You, you mentioned that you found someone on Reddit who wanted to work with you. That was almost exactly two and a half years ago. Um, and like I said, it started with a Reddit post. I flew out to the East Coast to uh, to meet with this person who wanted to make VR porn. Um, and that person is now my business partner. At the time, I met him, and he was 20 years old. I almost asked him for his ID. He looked so young. Um, we we went back to shoot. Uh, it was a solo scene. It was 3D 180, so 3D and 180 degrees capture. Um, and we shot it in his dorm room, which was interesting. And um, and we just really worked well together. Um, he is a genius, um, but. He didn't know all that much about porn, and I knew a lot about porn and how to, you know, get new performers and and how to navigate that that part of the industry. So um, we just kind of we matched up. We have very similar personalities, but very few overlapping skill sets. So we founded VRTube two and a half years ago uh, with that uh, 180 degree 3D. Uh, video. And what's the virtual reality gear actually look like at this point? Is it fairly accessible for anyone who might want to start a VR business? Um, he had made his own camera, like he cobbled together a couple of GoPros. And um, from there, we kind of just kept uh, iterating. So then we we built a 3D 360 camera rig with like foam board and gummy bear duct tape. It's adorable and charming. Um, so we did 3D 360 porn then um, we realized that's not a very defensible place in the market. Like at the time, there weren't many people doing it, but it was really only a matter of time. So um, then we tried doing holographic porn using uh, a time of flight depth camera. I would uh, isolate the performer's body in space on three axes and and shoot them. And then we would place them into a 3D digitally rendered environment. Um, and it was cool. Um, we used that same technology to make a dating simulator. So you can date me in VR. And that was it was a little silly because it was a very early, early version of what we had intended to make. But it was really cool because it felt like you were actually talking to the person in VR. Like you would have a couple of different conversation options. And, and based on how you, you talk to her, uh, like if you're too forward too, too soon, she is out of there. She doesn't have time for that. So it was a little bit of a, of a behavior like training thing as well. Um, and, and so we, we realized that the most compelling part of that was that it felt like you were talking to a real person. And so rather than try to make something that was a very convincing, like almost seemed like a real person, we figured, wait, let's make something where people can actually talk to other people. So we made the first ever live webcam platform in virtual reality and the world's first VR cam girl. And we launched that last summer. Um, we made a couple of, of important tech changes to it. And, and yeah, and it's been going really well. We've... Gosh, 
I guess from the beginning, if you consider like he made the first that 180 3D camera, we made the 360 camera rig. We've made like four different cameras. We're about to release our, our the fourth camera that we've made. Um, and it's really, really cool. Can you talk me through a little bit about the differences between working as a VR porn star versus working uh, as a traditional porn star? Like pretend that the camera is someone you're on a first date with whom you really want to fuck and you really want to impress. And that conveys the sort of, of personal connection and uh, and just intimacy, I guess. I mean, that's such an overused word in VR, but but it's true. The, the intimacy that we're trying to to get across here but the feeling is different for me anyway um because when you're watching me in vr you are completely immersed in an environment that i have constructed and crafted and and kind of built for your consumption to some degree i mean with our camera basically it takes a 3d 360 capture of the performer's space so uh when you walk into my when you enter my camera room you're in my actual bedroom like you look around you see uh you know, the weird skulls on my bookshelf. There's a mannequin wearing a gas mask. There's portraits of myself because I'm a narcissist. It's all like my space. Um, I mean, to the point where people criticize my housekeeping sometimes. And uh, and you feel like you're there. And, um, and you, you know, I'm in front of you and I know that you're looking at me or part of the space that I've kind of decorated for you. You're not checking your email. You're not texting. You're not working, you're not multitasking, you are focused on me. And knowing that I have captured somebody's attention in that way makes me feel so much more engaged with them. So when I'm camming in VR, I just feel like it's this thread of enthusiasm that I, I don't always feel when I'm camming in you know the regular 2D analog, because I know that I dominate their attention. And just to finish off, what do you think the future holds for sort of the cross-section between VR and porn? Uh, do you think that teledildonics will actually play quite a big role? Um, I think that teledildonics are going to be a very big part of the future. Um, they're already really cool, impressive pieces of technology. But I think as those start to uh, develop and, and become a little bit more engaging and, and possibly expand beyond just the genitals, I mean, haptics would, uh, like haptic gloves or just haptic bodysuits would be incredible. Um, so anything that incorporates physical sensation with the visual immersion is going to be big in porn. And I see that coming about in the next few years. Um, and then, you know, right now we're in this VR bubble, but I think AR is going to be huge for porn where like right now you can come into my bedroom and see me there, but how cool would it be if like a version of me could appear in your bedroom in front of you? Um, and it's, you know, it's, uh, there are baby steps along the way to get there, but, um, but yeah, I think that that is going to be a big destination for porn. That was Ella Darling. Now to finish up, we'll hear from Dr. Trudy Barber again about what the future holds for tech in the sex space. Uh, a hint, it's here to stay, and it's only going to get kinkier. One of the difficulties that VR sex and teledildonics is going to have is the, um, the way of satisfying different participants' predilections. Now, if, say, you are a rubber fetishist... You want the experience of, say, being in a rubber mask and a rubber suit. And the part of the, the frisson of that experience is looking through the mask. This is going to be quite interesting to incorporate that into a virtual world because the actual point of view of the individual becomes part of the arousal because they are in a mask. So this means that there will be um, a different stage from the viewer to the actual virtual world. So you're looking at different types of immersion 
For some people, they might like to watch their avatar so that they're separated from it. For some people, they like to be in it and be, as I said, like in a rubber mask, for example. Or it might be that you just want the action to go on around you but you don't participate. As I do believe there's there's some um, sort of orgiastic 3D uh, virtual reality um, experiences that you can sit and watch, but you don't actually, you don't engage with it at all. You just sit and watch it. So um, for some people that might be quite fun, but you know, it depends on the level of engagement. Again, Dr. Trudy Barber there. Our thanks to her, as well as to Ella Darling for being part of this week's episode. I'm Matt Shore, M-A-T-T-S-H-O-R-E on Twitter. Production help this week from Max Anderson, Lee Alexander, and Kasha Murphy from FutureFest. I know that we ask you to every single week, but if you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on theguardian.com or on iTunes. Just search for Chips With Everything. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Guardian has always been a community of readers, journalists and contributors. And now our live events are bringing these people together. The Guardian events are The Guardian at its best, which is a two-way conversation involving the reader and having a real, genuine, thriving debate. Could be anything from food and culture, arts, to politics, to foreign affairs. To see what events are coming up and to check out the benefits of membership, go to members.theguardian.com. Also, subscribe to The Guardian Live podcast. You can do so on iTunes, SoundCloud and other reputable audio platforms.